Today, on this first Sunday of, our, of the year, I am preaching from the, the first part of the Bible and the last book of the Old Testament. And then in two weeks' time, God willing, I hope to start a series that goes right the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament, to the beginning of the whole of Scripture, as we have a series on the first three chapters of Genesis called Foundations. And what we're going to do, God willing, is we're going to spend time looking at those opening chapters of Genesis, and we're going to see how those chapters shape what we believe about life, about gender, and marriage, and the environment, and all of those hotly debated issues of our day. And so, for that reason, I want to start the sermon today by thinking a bit about the Old Testament itself, that first part of our Scriptures. And I want to say so clearly that the Old Testament has such an important place in our Christian lives and in the life of the church of Jesus Christ. And maybe I can emphasize that importance like this by, by telling this story of the time I was speaking at a friend's wedding or was invited to speak at a friend's wedding. This was a friend that I went to university with, and her and her fiancé came to me, and they said, Philip, would, would you preach at our wedding? And I, I counted that a great honor. And they were getting married up in Coleraine. So, Bellan and I shipped the kids off to various grandparents, and we decided that we would stay in our house up in Portrush the night before the wedding, just to make sure that everything was nice and relaxed and chilled on the day of this wedding, and we weren't rushing from where we were living at that time. And the day before, when we were about to go up to Portrush, I made sure that all of those bits that you could leave behind were packed, the cufflinks and the right tie and all the rest of it. It was all put into a suit bag, which was zipped up, and that was brought up to Portrush, and that was fine. And on the morning of the wedding, I thought, I'll take my time here, but I'll make sure that I'm ready in good time. And I went up to get ready, and I put the suit bag out on the bed. I unzipped it, and I took out the, the hanger with the jacket, and I looked for the trousers. And the trousers weren't on the hanger, so I looked at the bottom of the suit bag. They must have fallen off. They weren't at the bottom of the suit bag. And then I went out to the car. I did have trousers on, just let me. I went out to the car, and I looked around the boot, the back seat, no trousers. And so the panic started. And I came in, and Bellan was in the bathroom, and I was shouting through the door, I've got no trousers for the, you know, I'm going to be speaking at this wedding in less than an hour, flapping around. And Bellan, who's a lock camera, said, you'll just have to go to Coleraine and get another suit. So I grabbed all my stuff, raced into Coleraine, raced up the stairs in Moore's department store into their men's department. And the girls must have thought I was mad. I said this lady, I need to get a suit for a wedding. And the irony was there was a two-for-one offer that week. So while I was trying on this suit, the lady was passing other ones in. Now, that would be a nice second one, a nice contrast. And I was just put the suit in the bag. I need to go. And I made it back to Portrush got a new suit on, went, and never let on myself until about four years later when I told Joanne and her husband what had happened that day. 
Now, the point is this, that a Bible without the Old Testament is as crazy as a suit without trousers. It just doesn't make sense. It's not the way that it was meant to be. And so, as we think about the Old Testament, why should we spend time reading it? The, the big reason is because Jesus did. These were the Scriptures that the Lord Jesus used in you. In fact, these are the Scriptures that when you read the Gospels, He quoted so many times. And therefore, it was also the Scriptures of the, the church of first believers, because remember that the New Testament was under construction, so that when Paul talks to Timothy about all Scripture being God-breathed, he is specifically referring to what we describe as the Old Testament. And so, it is the Old Testament and the New Testament combined that gives to us the full story of God. And we need to avoid that terrible, terrible mistake of talking about the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament as if they were two different deities. It is the one true living God revealed His consistency and faithfulness revealed all the way through Scripture, both Old and New Testaments. And today, for a few moments, we want to look at one particular passage in the final book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. It's a very small book, and for that reason, it is described as being, or he is described as being a minor prophet, but that has nothing to do with the message itself. We could say of Malachi that he is a minor prophet who brings a major message, because in his book, he introduces us to a half-hearted people, God's people, his chosen people, and yet they have become incredibly half-hearted and complacent in their relationship with God. And what you get to see if you read through the whole of this book, and I would encourage you to do that, is that that then impacts on every area of their life. Their half-heartedness towards God makes them half-hearted in their relationships with each other. But the wonderful thing about this book, this final book of the Old Testament, is that it also introduces to us a wholehearted God. He has not forgotten His promises. We see in this book that He does nothing with half a heart, that He cares deeply about the future of His people. And I want to use this book today and these verses today to challenge us as we step into this new year. As we come into 2024, what is your attitude to God? Have you become half-hearted, or have you always been half-hearted towards God? And does that then impact on every other area of your life? And so, when we look at this book together, as we're going to do for a few moments, and this is maybe slightly irreverent, I hope you don't mind the description, we could describe this as a kick-up-the-backside book. Sometimes we say that about people. That's what they need. They need to be shaken up a bit. And this is a book that does that. Scripture shakes up our life at the beginning of this year. But alongside that, also wonderfully, this could be described as a pick-me-up book. 
because it is such an encouraging reminder to us of who the Lord God is, who it is that we come to worship today, who it is that we seek to serve and to live for, and why we should never be half-hearted about this wholehearted God. And so, here's how the book begins. Here's how our reading earlier begin, be, began in verse 1 of chapter 1. It's described as an oracle. That just means a prophecy. And that's, this is the key bit, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. So, Malachi is actually not the important person here. What is important to understand is that as we read these verses, this is God Himself speaking to His people back then and amazingly speaking to people today. So, let's look at these verses. And actually, this book begins with an argument. And I don't know about you, but I always find it incredibly embarrassing to be in the presence of people who are arguing. Thankfully, it doesn't happen too often, but it happens at times. Even, you know, I've been in situations in public transport, and people have been having a real argument in front of you, and you feel weak when you, you listen to these people and you see these people arguing in that way. And yet, here's the incredible thing about the beginning of this book. We get to read an argument, and it is no ordinary argument. It is an argument between God Himself and His wayward, half-hearted people. Look at how it begins, God's opening remark. He states it so clearly, I have loved you. That's what God says to His people. I have loved you. And, and how He's loved them. This is the final book of the Old Testament. And if you were to trace all the way through the story of the Old Testament, it is a remarkable story of how God has loved His people. He's loved them through choosing them in the first place, through making a covenant with people like Abraham and being faithful to that. He's protected them from their enemies. He's delivered them in the past from slavery in Egypt and delivered them to the promised land. And then if you read on through the Old Testament, you see this recurring pattern in the whole of the Old Testament that time and time again, God's people, the people that He chose to be His people, were wayward. They turned away from Him to false gods, and yet God always, always lovingly restored them and accepted them back once again. So, for God to say, I have loved you, is a bit of an understatement. And this kind of love of God that He, he had for His people in the Old Testament is summed up beautifully in Psalm 103. We think in particular of that verse on the screen, verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. So, that's what God says. But then in verse 2, He reports what the people say in response. Their comeback is this, how have you loved us? And it's a question that is not being asked with a sense of wonder and appreciation. It's a question that is a challenge. Prove it. Show us. You say you've loved us. In what way have you loved us? It's asked in a way 
that suggests that they're not convinced that God has loved them at all, or if He has loved them, that they have been left somehow disappointed with the quality of His love as they see it. And you know, sometimes a question tells a story. Sometimes a question shows a deeper attitude. It's like if I went down to the door today or I went to visit someone over the next couple of weeks and they said to me, have you ever thought of going to another church? Now, that's a question that displays an attitude. And this question shows that these people are half-hearted towards the Lord, that they're not fully trusting Him, that they have been weary in their relationship with the Lord. And I want to ask you today, and here is the big challenge, in all of this, are you with the psalmist? Are you astounded by the love that God has for you? Or are you with the people of Malachi's day? Do you question it? Do you doubt that God loves you at all. Maybe you've heard those verses over and over again. Yes, God is love, and for God so loved the world. But because of experiences in your life, because of disappointments that you've lived through, you are feeling cynical and disappointed. Maybe you add your voice angrily to that question to God. God, how have you loved me? Prove it. And that's exactly what God does in the rest of the passage that we read together, these opening five verses. He is, if you like, answering His critics, and He's talking about the kind of love that He has for His people Israel, and He says that it is a special kind of love. He spells it out like this in the end of verse 2 into verse 3. Look at that answer again. He says, was not Esau Jacob's brother. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. You see, God has shown his love for Israel by choosing Israel in the first place. And when you think about it, can there be a greater demonstration of love than choosing someone over someone else. And that's exactly what the, God, what the Lord did when we read through the Old Testament, because Israel is a nation that was named after a person. Israel was Jacob. And we read that Jacob was chosen over his brother Esau. The Lord could have chosen Esau and the nation that descended from him, Edom, but instead he chose Israel. And we can say of God's love that the Lord's love is an electing love. It's a love that chooses not because we are better than others, but because God is gracious. And while He is the, the God who is the judge of all nations, here in the Old Testament, it was Israel who were His chosen people. And yet they so quickly forgot that. If anything went wrong, they immediately blamed God and they doubted Him. So that at the time of the writing of this prophecy, Edom, that nation that had descended from Esau, had become a powerful enemy of Israel, had made Israel's life an absolute nightmare. 
and they're starting to say, maybe, Lord, you actually love Edom more than Israel. Maybe you're not actually true to your promises after all, because they're boasting about the way their nation is. And so, you see the Lord putting His people straight in verse 4. Look at that verse again. He says, Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called a wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You know, what happened to God's people Israel then still happens to people today. That sometimes we are seeking to live for the Lord, and then we look around and we see other people who have as we see it, no regard for the Lord, yet they seem to be doing so well. They seem to be prospering. They seem to be getting away with it, and we begin to doubt God's love and His promises. You might say, well, I think God's forgotten about me. And it is that loss of trust that can lead to half-heartedness. That's exactly what happened to God's people Israel in Malachi's day. And yet, at the end of this passage, at the end of the Old Testament, we are confronted with God's ultimate love. Because here, at the end of the Old Testament, we are able to look ahead to the amazing way that God was going to show His love, not only to one nation, but to the entire world, including us, Verse 5, he says, you will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. And this is a verse that is looking ahead to what the Lord would do through sending His Messiah, through sending His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, because in Jesus… God chooses, and He sets His love not only upon one nation, but upon people from all nations and all backgrounds who will look to Jesus and trust in Him. Those who put their faith in Christ. So that in the New Testament, Peter puts it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles there, turn to 1 Peter 2 and verses 9 and 10. And this is what God's Word says of those who know the electing love of God through Christ. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And is that true of you today? It can be. It can be through Christ alone. So today, if we were to ask at the end, well, how has God loved us? prove it? The answer to that question comes to us loud and clear. 
in Scripture in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is how much God loves this world. That is how much God loves you, that He was willing to give up His Son at the cross in order to save you. So, how have you responded to His love? Is it with half a heart? What impact will God's love have on your life as we go through this year that lies ahead? As we reflect on those things, we need to be sure that our confidence must be in Christ alone. Let's sing that together.